0: Manna or Meatloaf, Episode 10. Do what you love, love what you do. Hello, hello. Time as we know it is super limited, isn't it? It's a very limited commodity. And unfortunately, it's not always one that I honor with productivity or celebrate with creativity. So much of the time I'm guilty, like everyone else, of just trying to finish my endless to-do list so that I can then do what I love. The trick, of course, is to find ways to love what we're doing, what we're already doing, and then we're more likely to be productive and creative and happy and healthy. Yes, I said healthy. Think about it. It makes sense. So please tell me I'm not the only one that sometimes struggles with this very thing. Do you spend your valuable time engaged in things that bring you happiness and a sense of satisfaction? Do you love what you do? Or are you simply going through the motions? Because of this podcast and the goals I'm trying to reach through it, I'm really finding myself spending a little bit more of my precious time doing the things that I love, and I love that. I love creating content. I love writing. I love lifting and planting smiles, and I hope that's one of the reasons that you tune in, not just for the entertainment factor with this crazy gal who really shouldn't sing ever (laughs) except in the shower. (laughs) Oh, last week. I'm so sorry about that. Okay. I was in the third grade when I fell in love with stories. I was in the sixth grade when I discovered I also love telling stories. I had this amazing teacher. Her name was Mrs. Treasure, and she fostered a love of reading and encouraged my young self to write something worth reading. I will never forget that. I wrote my first book, For the Love of Sunny, in her class. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I still have this quaint little green booklet that tells the story of a girl and her horse, and it still gathers dust in a treasure chest in my garage. With it lies the blue ribbon and a Polaroid picture of the $30 check I won with my story's entry in the state of Idaho's junior writing contest. I had definitely caught the bug. Words are so fun! So the bottom line is I love to write. Kind of like a chef, you know, that extracts enormous satisfaction from putting all these different ingredients together just to see what they might make. I love to see what the combination of certain words creates. I know, it makes me sound like such a nerd. I write out everything. My to-do lists are so extensive, my goals, aspirations, and journals. Well, I'm assuming you know by now that I'm a big fan of journaling, wink, wink. Remember in that very first episode, the story of how Manna and Meatloaf came to be, this very podcast? Well, the romance novel version of Manna and Meatloaf was rough. (laughs) I'm going to tell you the truth. I worked on that book for about nine years, and I simply couldn't finish it. I had grown too fond of the characters, and I simply didn't have the technical skills to wrap it up. So guess what I did? I went back to school. That's right, I did. And following is the first essay paper I wrote in a Utah State University creative writing course. Now, many things have changed in the many years since I've written that paper. I no longer drive a Cadillac. The nails that used to be so perfectly manicured now look like they've plowed a field by hand. Literally, I'm not even joking. (laughs) And because of the eight calves I pulled in two years, I no longer sacrifice myself or my back for the good of the little creatures. Here we go. I couldn't feel my fingers, and my toes were even colder. There wasn't a dry inch on my entirely soaked body, and I was pretty sure my hair was frozen to the solid ground as I watched the newly fallen snow accumulate incrementally with every passing second. The only thing I was keenly aware of, besides my body's strong objection to complete and utter exhaustion was the racing heartbeat and shivering convulsions of the equally cold and motionless 90-pound life that laid under my protective care. Underneath my outstretched limbs and the thin coat I'd been wearing earlier was a sorry little thing whose body temperature I was trying desperately to raise with my own sub-zero carcass. "'Where was Doug?' I grumbled under my breath." If I had been a woman prone to cussing, I am sure I would have exceeded some unknown and immeasurable limit of obscenities in the last four hours alone. I think our wedding day was the first and last time he made it to anything on time. It was ironic, of course, that today he would be tied up at the clinic, caring for others' needs, unable to rescue me, regardless of my desperate need for his muscles, now that my frozen arms were rendered completely useless. Why was I here, lying in a pasture covered in frozen cow crap, protecting a darling, albeit difficult, newborn calf from the evidences of winter's first gifts? I was, after all, what might have been considered an uptown girl, who at one time could hail New York City and Paris, France as my home away from home. I got my hair and nails done as regularly as the moon phased, was a connoisseur of fine chocolate and buckled jeans, and might even be thought of by some as a high-class, socialite, if the lighting was just right. (laughs) Was this what my life had resulted in, or was it just the inevitable midlife crisis that looms unavoidably over every woman my age? I had dreams and aspirations of my own. I wanted to be a famous novelist, a holistic healer, a nominee for mother of the year, not the woman who hauled her hour-old calf to the vet in the back of her Cadillac. If farming was going to be part of the plan, I wanted to be the princess farmer, the kind that enjoyed the lush green pastures and picturesque scenes of animals grazing lazily from the comfort of her bay windows. The more I contemplated my predicament, the more I mentally prepared the verbal lashing I was ready to give my dreamer of this country cattle life with the tales of my morning's trials. I envisioned how compelling I would be as I pled my case. Yes, it was a novel idea to give the children some animals and responsibility. It was a beautiful notion to raise kids and cattle on the same land. But our children were becoming increasingly unenchanted, and somehow I'd ended up being the ranch foreman by default. I would lead off with the most obvious question. Isn't all of this the result of your decisions, your dreams to raise our children the way you were raised? I would sternly place one hand on the hip, the other outstretched, gesturing to everything behind me as I continued. Surely he had to know that every heifer that didn't know how to be a mother would conveniently calve while he was at work and the kids at school, leaving this princess farmer to do the work only men were meant to do. I would cite the times and birth dates of every calf I had successfully pulled, and clenched my fists to remind him that I couldn't move my hands for days afterward. Yeah, that would be a nice touch. I would paint a mental picture of the stomach-turning emergency procedure that I was forced to master alone until the vet arrived, one that would traumatize most women and one that ideally should include those latex gloves that go clear up to your shoulders and are worn only by professionals. And lest he thinks I'd forgotten, I would emphatically share my thoughts about fencing. I might genuinely muster tears at this point, I thought, as I recalled the entire summer and seemingly endless fall months of fighting the kids to happily help us fence 30 acres. This brought to memory the reality that no matter how the small muscles in and around your wrists and fingers ached, chances were we would have to rebuild the same fence only months later when our cows began to believe the grass really was greener on the other side. I was so, so cold. My mind's deliberate focus on the mental dialogue taking place was all that seemed to keep me from literally freezing. But eventually, I heard the hum of a diesel pickup. Doug finally found a pitiful me, wrapped like a frigid trap around a pitiful calf, both looking like we'd been dipped in a vat of sewage from head to hoof. I wanted to scream to any takers anywhere, Stakes anyone?'' But there were simply no words worth the energy to voice, no lashings, no traumatic tales, only a hot bath for me, and the reuniting of cow and calf for my handsome rescuer. The realization didn't come until I sat at our dinner table 18 months and hundreds of pounds of grain later, eyeing the perfect medium-rare steak that was formerly known as T-Bone, the steer I had saved. As I gazed adoringly at the people around me, I smiled. I smiled. Our children were well-balanced and hard-working. They didn't love fencing any more now than their mother did, but they did it anyway, sometimes even happily. Doug, our leader and visionary in this adventure, was in fact my hero in every way. As the picturesque beauty of what surrounded us flooded through my bay windows, I could clearly see that this dream of the country cattle life had become mine, too. I loved those troublesome little animals with their enviable long eyelashes, and I loved this life. I once saw one of those redneck signs you hang from the rear window of your flatbed pickup truck with one of those plastic suction cups. It hung from the metal turntable in a small country gas station. It read, This ain't no ordinary farm girl you're dealing with. I bought it. And it is this very balance that continues to ground me, and still makes this culture-loving, travel-seeking, jam-wearing homemaking mother, wanna strap on her car hearts, jump in her sporty black SUV, and drive off into the sunset of Walker family Farms with a silly sign dancing happily from the back of her rear window. Well, folks, there you have it. <laughs> my skill as a writer. That's why my book never got finished or published, and that's why I'm doing a podcast (laughs) with the title of that romantic book I attempted so many years ago. Oh my goodness. In the foothills by the ocean, right in Greece, there's an ancient temple, and it's dedicated to the Greek god Apollo. Above the entrance of this specific temple, it's known by some as the Oracle at Delphi, it's a simple inscription and it says, know thyself. So what do you know about yourself? What makes you happy? What do you love to do? I mean really love. What makes you smile, feel joy, makes you want to share what you have or what you can do with others? I love to write. I'm not great at it, but I love to enough that I was willing to share that little blip with you. When was the last time you asked yourself the questions? Well, there's some food for thought, because if you do what you love, you inspire and open the hearts of others. If it's, momming like a boss or being an entrepreneurial boss babe, chasing your dream or helping your family to build new ones. It shows when you're filled with passion and positive energy. And that work doesn't feel like work at all. It almost feels dedicated, doesn't it? So my challenge to you this week is to find something that you love to do and then do it. Find a way a shift in thought if you have to listen to last week's podcast, or an entirely new skill set that will enable you to love what you're currently doing or find ways to breathe new life into it. So, I had a listener last week say to me after listening to my realistic and maybe not quite as upbeat episode as episodes past, she said, sometimes it's nice to just have something positive to listen to. (laughs) So my effort with this episode was to give her something positive. Oh, give yourselves permission this week to do something you love today. And what can be more positive than that?